0: hey everyone uh, we are in our series on the Exodus uh, in the Exodus we chose this because it's a foundational story for us as Christians it uh, it shows us the character of God God reveals himself to his people as they move through uh, the exodus uh, and out of Egypt God also uses this season to form his people to uh, give him the law uh, give them the law to draw out of them the faith that he's looking for, showing them the consequences of disobedience. So we get, in the Exodus story, this amazing picture of God, uh, and also God forming his people so that he can be in relationship with them. Uh, just to give you a little bit about, about uh, how foundational this is, uh, because Jesus's entire life is mirrored in the Exodus story, I've got this chart that I'll put up. And you can see Israel on the left side and Jesus on the right side and uh, how some of these events correlate. Uh, Israel goes down to Egypt, and so does Jesus. He flees Herod, he goes down to Egypt in Matthew 2, verse 15. Israel is delivered through the Red Sea. Uh, Jesus goes through the waters of baptism. Uh, The Israelites are tested in the desert following the Red Sea, and right after getting baptized, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. He goes uh, out into the wilderness, is tested by Satan, Uh, Unlike the Israelites, he stands on the Word of God uh, and proves himself in that testing. And then lastly, after the testing in the desert, the Israelites uh, go to Mount Sinai and Moses brings the law to them, God's law to them, and you see the parallel that after the testing in the wilderness, uh, Jesus is going to go and he's going to give his Sermon on the Mount. It's the ethics, in in some ways the law that he's bringing to, to his people, the commands that he's bringing. So again, we see the entirety of Jesus' life mirrored in this whole Exodus story. It's our story. It's our gospel story that we're seeing unfold here. Uh, Last week, Pastor Renji talked about the plagues and how God was doing battle with Pharaoh. And what I want to do this morning is just take us deep into uh, the the story of the Red Sea. Uh, This is one of the more symbolic, picturesque stories, dramatic stories that we see in Scripture. And so... Uh, to do that, let me just tell it, uh, not read uh, two chapters from scripture, but let's, let's just talk about and sit into uh, the full drama of this story. You've got uh, the Israelites leaving Egypt because the firstborn sons have now been killed. Uh, in some sense, Egypt is burning. Uh, they've been decimated. And so the Israelites are fleeing, their neighbors have given them gold, basically want them out for fear of their God. There's no stick of green left in the land. Uh, the locusts have come in, the grasshoppers have come in, and it's utter devastation. Uh, here's a couple of black and whites of grasshopper plagues that, that we've suffered, just uh, so thick in the air. And then back during the Dust Bowl, uh, eating all of the wheat, all of the corn, and just reducing everything down to rubble. Uh, even eating clothes on lines, um, uh, clothes lines. so you can imagine, Uh, the Egyptians and just all of their cloth, all of their goods that way being eaten um, and even some of the wood or posts uh, or beams uh, being decimated or weakened. Uh, The food source has been polluted. The water has has turned to blood. Uh, Their worldview is upside down. Their culture and commerce uh, is in ruins and even their bodies have been affected. So it's not just the environment around them, uh, but the boils that really hit at your sense of pride, your sense of dignity, your sense of uh, separateness from the Israelites you've held as slaves, all of this has happened and culminated uh, with this picture of the Israelites, uh, up to 2 million people uh, fleeing Egypt. Um, it's, a, it's a hard picture to imagine, but its it's full of... Uh, the possibility of hope. It's full of the uncertainty. It's a new thing for people that have been generations, hundreds of years in one land. Um, And as they go, God um, begins to lead them. And so God has an intention for these people as he's taking them out of the land of Egypt. So Exodus 13, 17 says this, that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God is is making plans on how to steer them, and he doesn't want them to face trials too quickly. Um, They're a people group just now forming, leadership structures just now forming, confidence that is not yet there. And so God is steering them, and then not only that, but he's with them in a special way. So Exodus 13, verses 21 through 22. And it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar uh, of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by uh, by day or travel by night, and neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So God has situated himself out front. Uh, Everybody can see it. Uh, They know who is making the decisions to go left or to go right. They're beginning to develop this sense of trust in the Lord in the sense that the Lord's presence is with them. Now as they go, uh, I'll read from Exodus 14. The Lord says to Moses to tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near uh, Pi-Hiraroth between Migdal and the sea. And they're to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. And Pharaoh's going to think that these Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion and they're hemmed in by the desert. And so then says God, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh will pursue you. So God, if you want to look uh, at the map, God is taking these Israelites uh, just above the Gulf of Suez as they're fleeing down from Egypt, and he's sending them back around to encamp. Uh, So they are wandering between the sea and the desert, and we're going to eventually see them cross uh, one of these waterways. Uh, In the picture, you can see different arrows, traditional sites, um, some of them newer, but the northern suggested northern way, the central way, and the southern way. Uh, the southern way in dark red goes across the tip of the Gulf of Suez, uh, others across a lake or the delta up by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, newer ideas even that they might have crossed the right arm of the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aqaba towards its top. Uh, but um, whatever the the route, they're going to come into contact with a very large body of water. Think a massive, massive lake, or the tip of a sea, uh, and they're encamped there. And so, as they're camping there, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he now mobilizes his whole military. So he has the horses, he has the chariots. He mobilizes every, everybody and sets out marching towards the Israelites. And if you can think about this, uh, the Egyptians are angry. Um, they're coming with uh, a sense of power and entitlement to do violence to God's people. And God's people would have been terrified. Uh, they're dealing with their own trauma still. Uh, They have years of internalized oppression and fear of the Egyptians. Uh, The Egyptians have killed their sons, brutalized them as slaves, and they've taught them that you can't fight back. Uh, Power will always teach that you can't fight back. And so if you put yourself in their position, it's maybe the hardest that you you can imagine. It's full of this life and death panic or drama. That There's this impending doom, not just for you, uh, but for your spouse, for your children, for your whole family, that that somehow you've come here to die. So they cry out to Moses, and this is what they say in Exodus chapter 14, 11 through 12. Uh, The Israelites say, "'Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die?' Why have you done, uh, done this to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, just leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die uh, in the desert. And so Moses hears this cry from the Israelites. And his response is to say, you're going to see something amazing. You're going to see deliverance today that you would have never believed. And, and I think he's in this, this moment trying to be the leader and buoy or, or encourage the people. And ironically, God says to Moses, why are you all crying to me? Tell the people to move. Um, isn't this often maybe what God says is is just move your feet despite the emotions that you're feeling. And so God moves the people, has Moses raise his staff over the sea. So the staff that he used uh, to perform the miracles before Pharaoh, he now uses to raise over the sea, and you begin to see the waters move. All through the night, winds are going to come, and they're going to dry this sea uh, to dry ground uh, with water, a wall of water on the left, and a wall of water on the right. It's not just drying it up like evaporation. Uh, we're not just talking about um, the Great Salt Lake. Uh, we're, we're talking about moving and holding in place uh, by the power of the Creator, the waters that allow uh, the Israelites to pass through. Uh, here's a black and white photo uh, that you can see of, of Moses raising his arm and his staff. Uh, this event is one of the most um, illustrated uh, parts of the Bible, one of, one of uh, the, uh, the parts of our story or our narrative that has been expressed in art uh, and symbolism uh, all throughout uh, the Old Testament in different ways, poetically, and then in the, the church era, uh, visually, it's this amazing moment. The, uh, the Egyptians give chase. Uh, they come down. The water is, is still held back. They start to cross. Moses now holds his arm up again with the staff, symbol of God's power. And the waters return. Uh, And it says in Scripture that none of them, none of the Egyptians survived. So God now has has cut off the fear of the Egyptians. He's made good the escape, uh, the full deliverance of the Israelites. They're no longer going to have to look back. They're no longer going to have to look over their shoulder they can transition across the Red Sea into the desert and now go meet their God at Mount Sinai without fear uh, of Pharaoh. So the central truth here is uh, that the Red Sea is God's storytelling, showing that he is with us and with his people and that he prepares the way for us to be delivered. It is the final victory of the Egyptian part of the Exodus story, and it shows us that bad chapters do come to an end in life and that God can truly move us forward into the next season. Uh, our God is a God of deliverance. And there's a lot of applications we could draw from this story. I mean, we could, we could go into so many of the different facets here. Uh, how God sometimes leads us into difficult places on purpose. Um, how true does that feel? That God tests us to prove and grow our faith sometimes. Uh, that we are not immune from panic or fear situations as God's people. Um, God's people get scared, and God's people are put in what feel like hopeless situations. And we can trust that God sees the bigger narrative even when we can't. Um, But the one I wanna just uh, take us through is this idea or this application that we can see in this story that God is our rear guard. Uh, that God comes behind us and cares for us uh, as creator, as a father in the times of our need. So, Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 20, uh, it says this When the Israelites were camped and the Egyptians were coming, uh, that the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of, the, of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. God calls us um, in faith, and he leads us. uh, The pillar of fire, the cloud that goes with the, the Holy Spirit that he sent. Uh, But we see in these moments that that God also will walk through the the valley of the shadow of death with us, that he will uh, tell Joshua to fear not, that the places he's going to lead him in faith that are scary, that God will be there as well. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, most of whom who died martyrs' death, uh, deaths for for being witnesses of Jesus, Uh, he tells them when he commissions them, that they are to understand or to know or be comforted, that he is going to be with them always. Uh, this is not just an isolated example. It's a part of our gospel story that, that God has us, that we cannot be snatched away, that that he holds us in his hands. It, it's a part of our, our prayer book that in uh, the Psalms we read about God being a strong tower, that God does come behind us, that that God does hold us, that he does have a mighty arm, that he does have a wing that he takes us under. So this idea or picture of God is incredibly important that when you are worried that all will be lost, God is going to be there. That when you are caught between people and power and natural barriers, God can show up in those moments. That when you're caught between Pharaoh and the Red Sea, God is still there ensuring and, and making sure that, uh, that he protects uh, you on your, your path of faith. Uh, God will be your rear guard, and he will cut off the need for you to look over your shoulder. What, what a powerful picture that, that God does work in our life in a way to put our eyes forward, uh, to put our eyes on him. Uh, a little bit of, of Jesus talking to Peter when he was walking on the water. And Where are your eyes? that you no longer need to look back over your shoulder. Uh, God will make provision where he has promised that he would. God cuts a path where we can't see one. So where are you today? Um, Where are you today with the panic or the anxiety uh, or the worry or the concern, uh, the felt needs, the drama that makes every minute seem so charged or every day or every month so... Uh, difficult or full of emotion. Where are you today? Uh, Are you standing up for others but you feel alone in your needs that nobody's meeting uh, or that you have a desperation uh, that, that nobody fully sees or acknowledges that you are truly isolated in your desire to do good? If you're trying to serve the hungry but you don't know how to deal with your own finances or challenges that you're caught between those things, if you're trying to be a witness in this time that doesn't necessarily want to talk about uh, Jesus or think about Jesus, uh, how are you navigating that? If you're trying to be a parent with all of your energy and the ways that you feel God has called you to, uh, but it's a disaster right now and you're caught in that tension. What, whatever it is today that, that has worn you out, that makes you feel tired, that makes you feel like crying out to God, It makes you feel like crying out to the spiritual leaders uh, in your life. Um, Whatever God has called you to in terms of your journey, uh, what He has called us to as a church in terms of our journey, what He's called us to as a community, Washington County, filled with needs, with immigrants, uh, with the hungry, with people who are alone or isolated, Uh, All of us as a nation who are now burdened under a pandemic and the racial violence and racism that still continues unabated in this country and the conversations that we're having and the challenges that that bring, the opportunities that that bring, whatever the the tension points are that we're standing in the middle where we've got uh, a difficult situation coming at us on one side and a barrier on the other that makes us feel like there's nowhere to go. Wherever you're at like that today, um, God is your rear guard. Uh, Jesus has promised that we can come to him, all of us who are are weary and find rest, Uh, that this is the story of scripture, that the Holy Spirit was given to be a helper, that the cries inside of us, that the real cries inside of us uh, are not even as true as what the Holy Spirit knows our emotions to be. Uh, Paul says in Romans that the Spirit is going to intercede and pray for us with utterances that we wouldn't even be able to understand, guttural utterances that really convey our pain or our deep need and taking that straight to the Father. Uh, And every good and perfect gift is going to come from the Father of heavenly lights. So we pray to a God who is a God of deliverance. Uh, We do not grow weary in doing good. We try to take heart to keep moving our feet, to, pers- to persevere, uh, to knowing that someday as we continue in faith, God will show his faithfulness, that God will do something amazing in this day. And so we trust. Um, please, if, if you're watching this video, and, and it is that bad, and you're questioning whether you've heard from God or whether you're following Him in the ways that you should. Um, know that we have a God. Um, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, any God besides you who uh, waits, who acts on behalf of those who wait for you. Uh, Isaiah 64.4 um, This idea of God coming to the people who wait on Him. Uh, stand firm. Let's encourage one another. Uh, Let's pray for one another. Let's carry each other forward because we do have a God who responds and acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So in closing, I just wanna pray. Um, This is out of Psalm chapter 36 and, and it felt like it fit for me this morning. So if you would bow your head and just let me read Psalm 36 to us as a prayer. Uh, We'll close this way. Psalm 36. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, both preserve people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God! People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Amen.